0: The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're reading this morning the first 11 verses. Most of you are aware, of course, we have been steadily working our way through 1 Peter. And if you are joining us here in the sanctuary for the first time this morning, we started back in early January. And our pattern on Sunday morning is to follow through book of the Bible, usually, section by section by section sometimes it's four or five verses sometimes it's half a chapter and it's a longish reading this morning and if you are asking richard if i come regularly or i watch from home regularly what can i expect on a sunday morning well you can always expect us to do three or four things number one We're always going to worship, and it's a priority for us. And within that service of worship, we will pause various times in prayer. We will, of course, sing some of the great hymns of the faith, but also some of the newer hymns of the faith that are encouraging and Christ-centered and enabling hymns. And of course, we're going to spend a substantial amount of time reading and studying together God's word, because here we find food for our soul. And if you're thinking of coming regularly or joining us regularly, please, you're going to need a Bible. And of course, first Peter is tucked away at the end of the New Testament there. And so we're beginning this morning at chapter four at verse one. And Peter, having come to the end of chapter three, he focuses on the life and death and ministry of Christ, and having finished chapter 3 with a focus on the cross and all that Christ accomplished for us, he begins chapter 4 with these words Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin as a result. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lusts, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And we do trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Let me ask you this morning to use your imagination. And imagine you are at home, husband or wife, family members. Or maybe you're a single person, you live on your own in an apartment. Over the last couple of months, you've been thinking it's time to either remodel maybe a bedroom or a bathroom or a kitchen. And for the sake of my illustration this morning, I want to encourage you to think about remodeling the kitchen. I suspect many of you have been through this scenario and will identify exactly with what I'm going to say. And the remodelling of a kitchen usually starts when one of you is standing in the kitchen looking around and then husband or wife joins you and the conversation goes something like this. What would you think about adding some tiles above the worktop? Oh, what kind of tiles? What style? What shape? What size? What colour? And a conversation begins. Then after you discover the kind of tiles you're thinking of, husband or wife says, now, I think that's a great idea, but don't you think it would be worth painting the walls as well? Just to give them a fresh coat of paint, a new lease of life, and then you say, sounds good. You know, that dishwasher, we've had it for 15 years. Maybe we need a new appliance there. And what about a new refrigerator? You know, the oven's been playing up recently. And then before the conversation is finished, you have come to the conclusion that it's time to remodel the entire kitchen units are coming out in your mind worktops are coming off islands in the middle of the kitchen are now no good and you're seeking something better kitchen tiles and the floor are coming up you're planning to knock out a wall to extend the breakfast area and looking at the possibility of extending on the other side of the kitchen the laundry or the utility room because you have more children and you're needing more space and that conversation goes on and on and on and on and then eventually and most of you are laughing of course because you have been there and you know exactly how that goes and then you plan you ask a contractor to come in you get an estimate and you ask a couple of others you work out a budget and once you see the budget you start to pray and then you pray again because the budget is never what you thought it was it just is increasing And then eventually after all of the planning and the working out and the financing, eventually week one arrives and you're excited because you have begun to empty kitchen cabinets, you've begun to organise things so construction folks can start at 8am on Monday morning and that first Monday morning comes and you're up early, you're looking out the window and then trucks and vans start to arrive and pick up trucks and they're backing into your driveway and then as they come in and start and then you hear another truck and it's not just a pickup this time, this time it's a dumpster construction 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 size. And you thought, what on earth do we need a dumpster that size for? What will my neighbours think when it's sitting there in the driveway for the next week? And then you begin to realize that demolition is involved as well. And then as the morning proceeds, island worktops get taken away, tiles come off, walls, cabinets come down, appliances are gotten rid of. And it takes two and a half to three days for the demolition. And it's noisy and it's messy and dust is everywhere and you can't use the kitchen. And then by the end of the first week, you're thinking, wow. This will be great when it's finished. Then you go into week two, but you've had no kitchen all weekend. And you think, oh gosh. And then you get into week two and what happens? The plumbing needs to be upgraded in order to take the new appliances because you want to move the refrigerator to the other wall because that wall is now coming out because you're extending the breakfast area. And it goes on and on and on and on. At the end of week two, there's not a huge amount of progress, although you're promised a great deal. No appliances yet. No new cabinets yet. The worktops have been delayed. The tiles you selected for the floor are on back order. And and week three is similar. At the end of week three, you're thinking, I wish I had never started this. Oh, it is just more complicated than I ever imagined. It is more expensive than we first thought. Why on earth did I begin this? I was happy with my old kitchen. Ever been there? Ever wandered along those lines? In First Peter chapter 2, Apostle Peter highlights... A recurring theme when he writes these words. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And last weekend, as we began to tease out the latter part of chapter 3, that theme was right there. We didn't highlight it as this theme, but it was right there of renewal refreshment of becoming the people God is calling us to be. And if you were with us last Sunday morning or watching from home, you will notice that what we said was this. We asked the question, are we growing in our relationship with Christ compared to this time last year? Are we sensing God building us into a spiritual house And last Sunday morning, we paused and made the point, are we growing in our relationship? Are we maturing in our faith? And the latter half of the question was, especially when we seek to live out our faith in a politically, culturally, and socially divided age, are we growing in our faith in 21st century culture and society? Second focus was, who are we becoming as we seek to mature in our faith? Are we being refined and fashioned by the love and grace of God? Are we living in obedience to Him? Are we willing to do the hard work of daily discipleship? Those were the themes last Sunday morning. We see them coming up in chapter 4 again. They are broad enough to remind us that God... Puts a label on us and it says, under construction. Shaping, fashioning, renewing, refreshing us, building us into a spiritual home. It's one of the major recurring themes throughout this epistle. The principle, of course, we saw last week, as Paul was saying, in order to live out your faith, to do the daily hard work, set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord. Day after day after day, consistently, faithfully, do the hard work of daily discipleship. As we come into chapter 4, Here is where Paul takes us. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body, in other words, as Christ has gone to Calvary, he is now done with sin. Sin has been dealt with. And then he applies that to us when he says, As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And now he's talking about the Christian having highlighted all that Christ accomplished for us. He's talking about the Christian doing the hard work of daily discipleship, growing in our faith, asking yourselves who are we becoming? Are we more Christ-like this year than we were 12 months ago? As a result... The individual does not live the rest of our earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And that's how he begins chapter 4. And then he unpacks all of that for us. Arm yourself with this same attitude. Live for the will of God. Now often we are tempted to think of the will of God as something that is slightly mysterious. Something uncertain. It's one of these spiritual entities that we can only discover after a great deal of fasting and praying. And we often associate the will of God with perhaps, should I get married or not? Should I try for promotion at work or not? Should I move to a new home in a new city in a different part of the country. And those are huge, huge questions. And we need, of course, fasting and praying and teasing all of that out. But here is Peter talking about living in the will of God day by day by day. Taking the same attitude of Christ. Sin has been dealt with. Christ doesn't go back to Calvary every day. It's dealt with. And he's saying, likewise, in your own lives, you no longer have to live back there, wrestling with sin, adopting that lifestyle. But in fact, he's saying, move on, move on, understand who you are in Christ. That's the point he's making. Do the hard work of discipleship. And here is Peter reminding his people about moving forward Growing in grace. And he's saying there once was a time when you lived like that. Remember those days before you came to know Christ? Remember those days when he was a stranger to you? You knew nothing of answered prayer, forgiven sin, a refreshed, renewed, regenerated heart and mind and soul. Remember those days... They're behind you. Please don't give in to the temptation to go back there. Leave them behind you. That's the point he's making in these opening verses. You've spent enough time there. Move on. Be Christ-like in your personality, your character, in your hopes, your dreams, how you interact with others focus on who you are becoming not who you once were not who you once were but on who you are becoming i'm sure i've told you this before so please forgive me if this is a little repetitive or redundant a number of years ago i had two colleagues in the ministry and they would speak to each other maybe once a quarter And they would ask about journals that each other are reading or ministry magazines. They would talk about budgets and staffing issues and rotas and percentages. They'd talk about finance. They'd talk about where each congregation is going in their faith and growing. And all of the typical conversations that pastors have with pastoral staff and colleagues on a fairly regular basis. And then towards the end of that conversation, both of them knew that a particular question was coming. And they knew it was coming because they had both agreed that they would ask such a question. And that they would never simply finish their conversations with focusing on committee structures or COVID protocol or elder training or whatever the issues were. Towards the end of the conversation they would ask each other how is your soul? That's a question, isn't it? How is your soul? And they promised to be honest with each other transparent, accountable No hidden areas. Nothing off limits. Who are you becoming? That's the kind of conversation that Peter wants to have with his readers. Are we more Christ-like this time this year than last year? How is your soul... Are you delighting in Him, growing, maturing in your faith? Are you living in a Christ-like manner, living out His will, day by day by day, resistant to temptation and the draw and attractiveness of the enslaving nature of sin? That's where Peter is encouraging his folks to be. Where is, Where are you in your walk with Him? Are you moving forward, excited, anticipating all He's doing? Or are you living in the past, stuck? with an old kitchen that needs remodelling and refreshing and renewing. That's where Peter is going. Christians are never, ever asked to function like a museum, a place where others go and look and appreciate and say, how wonderful, and then move on to something else. We're never asked to be stationary and unmoving. Never asked to sit on a shelf collecting dust. We're asked to be the very opposite. We're asked to live out our faith day by day by day in a 21st century setting, in a growing, vibrant city. We're called to be salt and light. And here is Peter reminding folks, live out faith. Your faith day by day by day. Live for his will. And as the passage develops, please notice what comes next. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgy, carousing, detestable idolatry. And notice verse 4. And they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Now I trust and pray that will not be your experience. But please know this. Whenever you are determined to make a break with your past and step out in faith, That past will cry out for your attention. It will consistently call you back. And sin will be right there in its midst. Reminding you of the person you used to be. Trying to define who you are. Trying to tell you what the future should look like. And that's why Peter is saying, be done with it. Don't go back there. Your lifestyle is very different now. Live for Him day by day by day. May I slightly go off on a rabbit's trail this morning and suggest this pastorally. Some of you may be living in the past, holding on to what once was. It's not a bad thing. But the same circumstance and situations are no longer who you are. It doesn't define you. It doesn't determine the future. Sometimes it's been mistakes and regrets. Not always, but sometimes. When Peter says, put it behind and move on, that's exactly what he's saying. Are you moving forward? Are you focused on who you are becoming? And when he says some think it's strange that you do not plunge into the same flood of dissipation to heap abuse on you. I'm hoping that will not be the case. It was for Peter's folks as they were still living with persecution. Today folks will hold us at arm's length. You may not be invited to the office party at the weekend. May not include you in various conversations. Think that you're a little odd. Think that you're narrow-minded, archaic in your beliefs, out of touch. And yet, here is God. God. Working, refining, fashioning you, focusing you on who you are becoming. That's the point Peter is making right here. In other words, he's asking the question, how is your soul? How is your soul? That's where he's going. When you're tempted to go back, remember... All that he is doing in you. And then he says these strange words that whenever I'm involved in a Bible study with folks in chapter 4, we inevitably come to verse 7, and folks will say to me, Richard, what does that mean? When he writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray When Peter writes the end of all things is near, what does he mean by that? In Acts chapter 1, Pentecost, or Acts chapter 2 rather for Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2 where he gives this spectacular sermon on Pentecost Sunday, can you remember how he begins? He begins by saying, the end of all things is near. Isn't that strange? The end of all things is near. What was Peter meaning? Well, simply this. That Peter is describing history in a redemptive sense. He's describing it through a biblical and theological lens. And what he's saying is this. But Since before the foundation of the world, God set his love and affection on his children and he has been orchestrating and engineering all of history to bring to pass his redemptive purposes and eternal plans. And with the coming of Christ, his life, ministry, death, resurrection, Pentecost... All of the necessary mechanisms in God's redemptive plan is now in place. And Peter is saying the end of all things has come because it has come to the end of all of God's purposes and plans in terms of what? Accomplishing redemption. Now the rest of history, of course, has still to come as he continues to expose humanity to his love and grace. And here is Peter talking from a biblical perspective that you need nothing else. Christ has accomplished all that he wishes to accomplish. The end is near. That's the point he's making. And he's saying, therefore, be clear-minded. You don't need anything else. There is no point looking for something else. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. Do the hard day-to-day work of discipleship. And as it unfolds, of course, he mentions what lies at the very heart of the gospel. What does he say? As you live out your faith, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. What a way to begin to draw things to a close on this Valentine's Day weekend. Love each other deeply. What does that mean? Personal terms. Does it mean simply being empathetic towards husband, wife, parents, grandparents, children, those whom we love? Certainly means that. Does it mean be considerate? Absolutely. Does it mean be thoughtful? Of course. Does it mean be caring, sensitive towards those whom you love? Think of them first? Absolutely. But what does it mean? And at times those relationships turn sour, fracture. How do we then respond? In doing the hard work of daily discipleship, on focusing on who you are becoming as Christian people, we are called to love as He loved us. And that is hard. That is not easy. Especially when you are convinced the other person is in the wrong. They should never have said that. They should never have acted like that. That's not what I meant. They intentionally misunderstood. Is it worth losing a relationship over? What is a helpful working definition of Christian love? To love someone means that whatever that person does, whatever that person says, you will deliberately go out of your way to talk about them and act about them in ways which will bring about their highest good and greatest blessing. Oh boy. You will deliberately go about and act in ways that will bring about their highest good and greatest blessing. Because when someone you love has hurt you, and hurt you badly, and wounded you, that's the last thing you want to do. What you want to do and feel like doing Saying, let me tell you what they did to me. Let me tell you how wounded I am. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. And you've become a prisoner to the past. Not moving forward. Not doing the hard work of discipleship. Not being willing to adopt the same attitude as Christ would adopt. That's hard. That's tough. That's genuine, heartfelt, real Christianity standing up and moving forward. Refusing to be held in bondage over the past. And that's why he lays it out. And remember who he is writing to. He's writing to people who have been persecuted. Lost everything, moved to new cities, had to start business and life all over again. That's the call of the gospel. Now you may be sitting there saying, Richard, I agree with you. But quite frankly, this is naive. This is just silly People don't behave like that. I can't believe you'd even say this. You are just so gullible. This is incredulous. How could we possibly act like that? Really, Richard, that's what you're asking me to do? Please remember what Peter said earlier. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what others choose to do. How did that work out for you? Did that go well? Is that how you want to live? Blame festering away inside, dominating your life? Can't wait to tell others. How is your soul? Earlier this morning when we began this study, I suggested to you that you imagine yourself standing in the kitchen. Do you remember where we stopped the illustration? At week three, the worktops weren't quite fitting the way you had hoped. The tiles for the floor were on back order devices had arrived but they need to refresh the plumbing a little before they will work there was delays and complications and you were tempted to think I wish I had known it was going to be this difficult I would never have begun it's more trouble than it's worth Please understand this. As God works in our lives, He never, ever, ever, ever looks at us and says, I wish I'd never begun. Never looks at us and says, They're too complicated. Never looks at us and says, They're just too much trouble. He never does that because He works and fashions and shapes the heart and the mind and the soul and He pleads with us and He changes circumstance and situations in order for us to grow in our faith and He helps us ask the question, how is your soul? Are you further along in your relationship with Christ than 12 months ago are you doing the hard hard work of daily discipleship is that what's going on are you loving as Christ loved that's what's going on because when he looks at us he looks at how far we have come he helps us look to the future The past never determines who we are or defines our future. And he never, ever, ever gives up on us. Ever. And he patiently, graciously, faithfully, with consistency refreshes and renews and recalibrates our deepest affections. And having been exposed to his love, we then are willing to do the hard work of daily discipleship, focused on who we are becoming, and willing to do the hard work of living for him, day by day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you that you draw us in to the reality of your word and feed us heart and soul and mind. Thank you that you encourage us and equip us to live out our faith day by day. And, Father, as we enter into a new week, help each of us, please, in these quiet moments of prayer, when we meet with you to answer the question, how is our soul? Who are we becoming? Are we living for Christ day by day by day? Father, bless us, please, in the week that lies ahead.